It's March 1976, and a regular enters a dive bar in Jonesboro, Arkansas. The bartender smiles as the man hops onto a bar stool. Hey, Kurt. Usual? Yep, Schlitz as always, man. The bartender starts to hand it over, but suddenly stops. He takes a closer look at the amber brew and sees thousands of tiny specks floating in the normally clear liquid. Uh, not this again. I had the same problem with another Schlitz barrel. Must be something wrong with the entire batch. Uh, Kurt, you want something else? I guess. Give me a Miller Lite. As the bartender dumps the tainted Schlitz, he makes a mental note to complain to the wholesaler first thing tomorrow. But the wholesaler already knows. So do Schlitz executives in Milwaukee. The company's under siege from complaints that its beer looks hazy or speckled. Some people even say they see mucus floating in it. And that's why Schlitz's top brass are holding a crisis meeting this very minute. The marketing chief is seriously rattled. He's leading the desperate battle to stop Miller from replacing Schlitz as America's number two brewery. The last thing he needs is to lose loyal customers. What the hell is this gunk in our beer? Is it even safe to drink? The vice president of operations responds. It's totally safe. It's just proteins clotting together. That happens naturally over time. Our stabilizers normally prevent it. The marketing chief narrows his eyes. Hang on, hang on. Didn't you change the stabilizer recently? The operations executive gets defensive. Yeah, but, but we tested it thoroughly. It's not the stabilizer. It's, it's got to be something else. Well, whatever it is, figure it out fast before it sinks us. I'm on it. I'll hire an outside lab to investigate. Suddenly, Schlitz's chief executive, Robert Eline, who's been listening quietly, intervenes. Oh, no, you won't. Word of this can't get out. We'll investigate this ourselves. The marketing chief pushes back. But it'll be quicker if I said no. Orders given, the executives file out knowing they need a solution and fast. Not only is Miller snapping at their heels, but they're missing a golden opportunity to grab market share from Budweiser. And that's because Anheuser-Busch's new boss is at war with his own workers. And the Teamsters know exactly where to strike to inflict maximum pain. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S. And Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. 
from Wondery. I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, Miller brought light beer into the mainstream while August Bush III dethroned his father and became CEO of Anheuser-Busch. But now, August III must act fast to stop Miller's march to victory. This is Episode 4, Miller Killers. It's late March, 1976. And there's a picket line of several hundred strikers at the gates of Anheuser-Busch's huge brewery in St. Louis. Workers have been striking for almost a month, demanding the company stop any further automation of its bottling plants. Since then, all of the company's plants have gone offline, and 8,000 workers are idle. But today, strike breakers are about to cross the picket lines. 800 people typists, accountants, middle managers, and others from the company's corporate offices approach the brewery. As strikers jeer and shout outside the gates, the scabs nervously brush past the picket line and through the brewery gates. Watching the scene from a window on the executive floor are August III and his bespeckled deputy, Danny Long. After the last strikebreaker makes it through, Long turns to his boss and smiles. I think that went well. Agreed. No violence or anyone backing out. After they learn the ropes, how much beer can we expect them to make? Maybe half our usual output, if we're lucky. But the month's supply of beer we've stockpiled means we should be able to stay in the market until the strike ends. Good. Guess now we wait to see how the Teamsters react. He won't have to wait long. The union is furious. Union workers picket the railroad tracks leading into the brewery, hindering the delivery of raw materials. They hold sit-ins at the gates to stop trucks hauling beer from leaving the premises. The Teamsters also call on the public to boycott Anheuser-Busch brews until the strike ends. Other unions show support by protesting outside bars and liquor stores in St. Louis that stock the company's Budweiser, Michelob, and Bush beers. By late April, the stakes are rising. The strike is costing the company hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. But August the 3rd sticks to his guns. Talks between management and the union stall. And then the dispute turns violent. A man charges through the Anheuser-Busch company parking lot in St. Louis. He's swinging a baseball bat. He skids to a halt and lifts his bat high above his head over a mustard yellow Toyota Celica and smashes in the windshield. He spins around and slams the bat down onto the hood of the neighboring Dodge Coronet. Security guards chase him, but he sprints away. Elsewhere in the city, renegade strikers throw bricks through the windows of liquor stores, bars, and restaurants that stock Budweiser. There's also trouble at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery in Jacksonville, Florida. Shots are fired at a truck as it enters the site. The next day, someone fires a rifle at the brewery's electrical substation, causing a blackout and forcing it to turn on its emergency power generators. Soon after, someone firebombs the home of a strike breaker. But the striker's resolve is already collapsing. 
They need their paychecks. In mid-May, workers at the New Jersey brewery take the stock options and pay rise they were offered before the strike and get back to work. By late May, their colleagues in St. Louis have done the same. On June 7th, the strike ends completely. The 95-day walkout has cost Anheuser-Busch tens of millions of dollars in lost earnings and 4% of its market share. August the 3rd feels it was a price worth paying to weaken the union's grip on the company. But his victory has left the company divided. It's July 1976, and Denny Long is in August the 3rd's office in St. Louis. August's deputy is back from a tour of the company's facilities to share his assessment of the workforce's mood. Morale is bad. The unionized workers no longer feel part of the business. August the 3rd suspected as much. Is this just because of the strike? It's deeper. No, they feel there's an us-versus-them attitude now. Huh. Any ideas on how to get them back on our side? We need everyone working as hard as they can to stop Miller. Maybe remind them that all our jobs are on the line if Miller wins. I was thinking we could give out t-shirts with the phrase, I am a Miller killer. Huh. Yeah. I like that. Do it. Within weeks, Anheuser-Busch plants are full of employees wearing white tees with the words, I am a Miller killer, slapped across their chest in bright Budweiser red. Demonizing Miller turns out to be a powerful motivator. For little more than the cost of a few thousand t-shirts, productivity levels start rising. While Anheuser-Busch shifts to a war footing, the chemists at Schlitz have finally uncovered what's causing flakes to form in the company's beer. The problem is the new stabilizer. It's reacting with another stabilizer in the beer which maintains the foam. The company decides to solve the problem by ditching the foam stabilizer. But the move backfires big time. After 15 years of skimping on ingredients, Schlitz's beer contains too little barley and hops to produce foam without a stabilizer. And the result is flat beer. Drinkers have already been dumping Schlitz, and by fall 1976, the company is in a tailspin. Its reputation is ruined, its marketing confused, and its brew still unfixed. On top of all of that, federal regulators are investigating the company for tax violations and giving kickbacks to retailers and distributors in order to shut out its competitors. Then, Schlitz boss Robert Eline is diagnosed with acute leukemia. He dies two and a half weeks later. His legacy is a brewery in terminal decline, a company with a broken reputation, no succession plan, a mountain of debt, and federal agents on its back. With Schlitz going down in flames, Miller cruises into the number two spot. In just four years, Miller's gone from the eighth largest brewery in America to the company ready to challenge Anheuser-Busch. Miller isn't yet capable of producing more beer than its top rival, but it's breaking ground on new plants fast enough to make August the 3rd extremely nervous. So, as 1977 begins, 
Anheuser-Busch launches a light beer called Natural Light to take on Miller Light. When you're thirsting for a beer or two, but what you do and isn't through, that's the time to take a natural break. Anheuser-Busch Natural Light. Brewed naturally with nothing artificial to give you a crisp, refreshing beer that won't fill you up, so it won't slow you down. Natural Light is no Miller killer, but it does well enough to slow the light train down. Miller responds with a counterattack on Michelob, which is Anheuser-Busch's highest margin beer, marketed at upscale beer drinkers. To take on Michelob, Miller's bought the rights to produce the 700-year-old German lager Lohenbrau in the U.S. The plan is to lure highbrow drinkers away from Michelob on the back of Lohenbrau's reputation as an imported beer. Eddie, I know exactly what I want. I want the biggest steak you've got in a bottle of Lohenbrau. Steak and Lohenbrau. Dolan, you're a genius. When you want the taste of a truly great beer, tonight, let it be Lohenbrau. But Miller's hopes for Lohenbrau are about to be dashed. It's August 1977, and in St. Louis, Anheuser-Busch's public relations and legal chiefs are telling August the 3rd how they plan to take down Lowenbrow. The PR chief goes first. Lowenbrow is no import. We need to let people know it's brewed in Texas, not Munich. The real Lowenbrow only uses water, barley, hops, and yeast. We'll make sure people know Miller adds corn grits. The legal chief weighs in. Miller's downplaying how Lowenbrow is brewed right here in America. They want people to think they're buying a German import, so... We're going to file a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission accusing Miller of misleading advertising. At the same time, we'll send complaints to the media. I reckon once the highfalutin rich crowd that Lowenbrow targets learns the truth about what they're drinking, they'll be outraged. August the 3rd doesn't smile very often. But this plan's good enough to make even his ruler's straight lips curl upwards. <laughs> this is good. Really good. August the 3rd turns to the legal boss. What do you think the Federal Trade Commission will do to Miller? Oh, the complaint won't go anywhere. We're just, we're just doing it to get the media to run the story. Oh, well, still. Good plan. Soon after... Anheuser-Busch's Lowenbrow dossier lands on the desks of hundreds of American journalists. A flood of newspaper articles follow, killing Lowenbrow's sales momentum and saddling the lager with a phony image. Miller's two years of planning an $11 million ad campaign go up in smoke. It's the first big setback for Miller since Philip Morris bought the business nearly a decade earlier. And August the 3rd is determined it won't be the last blow he inflicts on his Milwaukee rival. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's Business Messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's Business Messenger for customer support.
birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's late summer 1977, and August the 3rd has summoned Anheuser-Busch's senior marketing team to his office. He's got a new plan for stopping Miller. What sports do we currently sponsor? The executives look at their feet. He's not going to like the answer. Eventually, the head of marketing replies. Uh, we don't really sponsor anything. Miller owns the biggies. The World Series, Monday Night Football on ABC, the Indy 500... Stanley Cup. What? I get the picture. You don't need to list all of your failures. How the hell did this happen? He glares at the head of marketing. They're expensive sponsorships. We felt the prices were excessive. August the 3rd is angry. How could his team miss this? The very crowd they're trying to reel in. 18 to 30 year old men love watching sports. Letting Miller dominate TV sports is not an option. Get me the details on every sporting event and team in this country. I want to know what sponsorships are available and how much they cost. I don't care if it's the Super Bowl or the college water polo team. Put everything on that list and get it to me by next week. It's two weeks later and Anheuser-Busch has commandeered the ballroom of a hotel near Williamsburg, Virginia. The room looks ready for a telethon. August the 3rd and his deputy, Denny Long, sit at the top table. Anheuser-Busch's marketing team and media buyers sit at dozens of surrounding tables. On each table are beige telephones and copies of the six-inch-thick sports sponsorship Bible compiled by the marketing team. It contains names, phone numbers, and cost of sponsoring of every sports team and event in the country. August the 3rd raises his copy in the air and addresses his troops. Now over the next four days, we're going through every single opportunity in this book, line by line. And if it makes sense, we're buying whatever's available. I want us to plant our flag wherever sports fans are found. And when Miller's current deals come up for grabs... We're going to take them, too. Understood? For hours, the marketers work their way through the tome. Long reads out each sponsorship opportunity, then August the 3rd gives it a thumbs up or down like a Roman emperor. And with each thumbs up, the media buyers make the call to cut the sponsorship deal. They buy into college football teams, Catholic basketball tournaments, local TV sports reports, and even hydroplane races and hot air ballooning. Four days and millions of dollars later, they leave the ballroom. Anheuser-Busch's banner will now hang over hundreds of sports teams and events.
but it's not enough. In 1978, Anheuser-Busch continues losing ground to Miller. But for all its progress, Miller knows it can't catch up fully until it can brew just as much beer as Anheuser-Busch. And that's why Miller boss John Murphy's been spending hundreds of millions of dollars constructing new breweries across America. With the new breweries in the pipeline and sales rising, Murphy's feeling so confident, he's telling journalists that he already knows the date when Miller will replace Anheuser-Busch as the number one brewer. Not that he's sharing that date publicly. Anheuser-Busch knows it needs to derail the Miller locomotive, and soon. So, with the pressure on, Denny Long decides it's time to rekindle Budweiser's mojo. It's late 1978, and Long's visiting Anheuser-Busch's ad agency, Darcy, in St. Louis. He's come here to talk Budweiser. It's still America's best-selling beer, but its sales have been flat ever since Miller High Life and Light Beer took off. As the ad agency's director listens, Long spells out what it is he wants. Budweiser is part of the fabric of American life, like Levi's and Coca-Cola. I don't accept the idea that it's had its day. We need a Budweiser campaign that celebrates blue-collar America. You know, like the Miller Time ads. The agency's director gives Long a surprised look. Sorry, you, you want to copy Miller? No, no, not copy. Think of it like this. They've got the right campaign, but the wrong beer. Now, we've got the right beer. We just need a stronger version of their campaign. Hmm. I'm, I'm not sure about this. You risk erasing the distinction between Budweiser and High Life. Long shrugs. We've got the more popular beer. Now, in that scenario, it will be Miller, not us who's struggling to stand out. In early 1979, the new Budweiser TV ads finally arrive. To everybody who puts in a hard day's work, this Bud's for you. This Bud's for you. There's no one else who does it quite the way you do. So here's to you. You know it isn't only what you say, it's what you do. Anheuser-Busch also applies the copycat strategy to the ads for its beer, Natural Light. The ads now star the same ex-athletes who used to hawk Miller Light. At first, Miller's executives don't quite understand what's happening. They think Anheuser-Busch has run out of ideas. But as the bud sales bubble up, the strategy becomes clear. By muddying the waters... Anheuser-Busch is robbing Miller's brands of any distinctive identity. And it's working like a charm. These campaigns are Miller killers. At the same time, Anheuser-Busch continues to spend millions to snatch sports sponsorships away from Miller. By the end of 1980, the impact is clear. Miller's years of meteoric growth are over and Budweiser's roaring back to life on the back of its This Bud's For You campaign. For the first time in a decade, the gap between Anheuser-Busch and Miller is widening. And if Miller can't find a way to get back in the race, 
its chance to become number one could be gone forever. On the next episode, Miller finds hope in Tokyo, Budweiser employs a skateboarding dog, and a foreign predator stalks the beer giants. From Wondery, this is Business Wars, and we sure hope you enjoyed this episode. We invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe over the cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. We hope you can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, it would be swell if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. There's another way you can support us, and that's by answering a short survey at Wondery.com survey. And while you're there, don't forget to tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. We should say something about the conversations you've been hearing in this episode. We can't know exactly what was said at the time, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Emily Frost and Donna Hyams edited this story. Our editor and producer is Jenny Lauer Beckman. Sound designed by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Looking for the hottest takes and the spiciest celebrity gossip? Look no further. Welcome to Rich and Daily, the all-new podcast from Wondery that's going to bring you up to speed on all of Hollywood's most current secrets and scandals. Need to know what Harry and Meghan are up to? What's the latest in Britney's conservatorship hearing? We've got you covered. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams, and along with my bestie and fellow celeb news fanatic, Brooke Sifrin, we're bringing you the latest entertainment gossip every Monday through Friday. Is that rumor you heard about Rihanna true? If it is, you better believe we'll have something to say about it. So if you want to be in the know about who's been seen with whom and who's in and who's out, join us on Rich and Daily, because we don't just listen to the rumor mill. We give you the celebrity facts as they happen. Listen to Rich and Daily on Amazon Music, or you can listen to episodes ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. With Rich and Daily, feel the gossip. Wondery, feel the story.